Welcome to the Concrete Conservative with Ed Vidal, Victorious Vidal. This is Mac on the Rock, WSQF 94.5, where we tell it straight and we keep communists at bay. Today, we're going to make America great again just, just because Ed Vidal said so. We have a caller waiting on the line, and appropriately, the song that we just shut down in the middle, it was Dire Straits. And I think that if Bob Barr doesn't wake up really quickly and start firing indictments, this uh, investigation for Spygate is going to go sideways. And the, the grand jury testimonies are going to be contaminated by the liberal press, and they're going to minimize what they did to Donald Trump. So, be as it may, uh, we've got a, a wonderful guest here in the studio that has an expert opinion about the Looney Tudes on the left when they're blue states trying to keep... Donald Trump off the ballot. So Double you'd like case. to introduce the live guest, and I'll introduce, and then you can introduce. The, yes, our the, live guest in the studio is Roy Gonas. He's a local attorney, and he is an expert on impeachment. And we also have on the uh, calling in Kristen Tate, a libertarian columnist for The Hill, and she's going to talk about the immigration uh, chaos that we're in. Okay, so lead. Start with a leading question. All right, Kristen, what do you want to tell us about immigration? Well, hey guys, thanks for having me on the show. So um, I grew up in New Hampshire, way up in New England. And back when I was growing up up there, the immigration debate was kind of like this ideological debate. It felt very detached from everyday life. But in my 20s, I moved down to Texas. All right. And being in Texas, you see firsthand how this immigration crisis does affect Americans firsthand and just how dire the situation has become. Um, I've spent a lot of time down in McAllen and Laredo, which are both border cities on the Mexican border. And I'm telling you, you can park your car on high ground and just watch waves of people coming across the river into our country. But what's really shocking is mm-hmm. that these people are not trying to evade law enforcement. They're actually looking for Border Patrol agents because they know that if they find Border Patrol agents and claim asylum, there's a very good chance they will be set free until their immigration court date, and then the majority of them don't even show up to their court date. So these people are over-flooding our facilities. We don't have anywhere to put them. In fact, I saw a, uh, a report in the Wall Street Journal that said, the situation is, is so dire, and we have no room, so Border Patrol is going to start releasing these people without even temporary detention or tracking devices. All right, Kristen, but I know you're a young woman, but maybe, I don't know if you remember some a couple of names from the 1960s. Cloward Piven. They were professors at Columbia University, and they suggested that the way to bring down the American system is to flood it, flood the system, flood the zone. And I think that it may be what's happening right now on the border. What do you say to that? Well, I think there's some truth to that. Now, I've got to be honest. I'm a libertarian, so I want more immigrants coming to this country. However, they need to come through legally, and we need a merit system, which is, of course, what Donald Trump always says. So I don't think the problem is necessarily immigration itself or the number of people itself. It's the kind of people and the way that they're coming in, because we aren't able to vet them, we aren't able to have any control over the number or the the places they're coming from. 
So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that, but I also think it's a little bit more nuanced. Okay, and so... And then there's, there's a whole other aspect to this, which no one ever talks about, which is the financial burden that these immigrants are imposing on taxpayers. I wrote a piece in The Hill a few weeks ago uh, where I revealed that illegal immigration is costing U.S. taxpayers at least $116 billion per year. Uh, when you factor in legal services, welfare services, and all of these other things we subsidize for illegal immigrants. And that's a figure that's actually, um, you know, after you subtract the tax revenue that's paid by illegal immigrants, the ones who, who do pay tax revenue. So this is a financial burden as well, not just a cultural burden. Well, what do you say to people like Jeb Bush who say that the opposition to illegal immigration is based on racism? It's pretty. It's pretty cheap. Very simplistic argument. um, That is just not true at all, and it's the same argument that's used by the left anytime any conservative or any reasonable person points out that we're a sovereign country and we have the right to control our borders. Um, The concerns about immigration from the vast majority of Americans have nothing to do with race. Americans are typically very welcoming people. We are very giving people, but we also understand that we live in a country where we have the right to control our borders. As any any country would. We also have, wait a second, we also have 1.5 to 1.7 percent of the population of Honduras and Guatemala already crossing the border since the caravans began, and that's not a crisis? The problem is we're up against the left, that is the party of lying and stealing, and people don't want to just call them simple liars and thieves, because every penny they take from a taxpayer who's self-reliant is a penny going to someone who's not, and when the food lines break out and the country doesn't support itself any longer... And that might happen in the next generation if we don't win these next five elections. You know, I mean, it's not just this next election, but we really need a filibuster-proof Senate to stop this uh, insanity. Uh, It's just gotten out of control. This whole generation of public school kids is now, what, four generations in, and they're already accepting socialism as an, uh, an option to free market capitalism, and that's complete insanity. Right, and to your point, sister, almost 50% of Americans don't even pay income taxes anymore. Um, so the number of people who are actually paying into the system continues to dwindle. And when you have the majority of people, if it ever gets to 50% or more, who do not pay into the system, of course those people are going to want socialism because they're not paying taxes. They're not the ones being burdened by the financial Yeah, it's, it's the famous uh, conflict of interest voter who is now right. uh, residing in the, the very large metropolitan areas in blue states. And they obviously want to get rid of the Electoral College so they can run the show and ask for more money and literally hold the country hostage. And then the illegal immigration system, without any changes to it, there's no way of vetting and getting the underskilled people to to stay out of the country and the overskilled people to be brought into the country. And then you also have the foreign student who's super overachiever, graduates from our schools, sucks our intellects out, of our school system at the college level, and then we kick them out of the country because, you know, they end up competing against us, not for us, especially when you consider all the Chinese immigrants that are in our, well, the majority of Berkeley is now Chinese immigrant. Uh, they go back to China to compete with us, and how, how resounding a defeat that is, especially now with these uh, trade wars going on. So what is it that you're suggesting 
He's the solution because you know what? Ed knows my solution over there. Well, I think Donald Trump is correct when he says that we need a merit-based system. Of course, he should end the lottery system because that is just there's absolutely no logic behind that. And then I favor taking away incentives for illegal immigrants to come here in the first place. Of course, a wall would be great and it would probably help the problem. But the problem is really the incentive. It is the asylum loopholes because these people understand in Central America, they understand that if they come here and say some magic words, we cannot simply deport them. There's a law that says, you know, if the migrants are not from a contiguous country, meaning if they're not from uh, Canada or Mexico, you can't just send them back. You have to put them through the legal system. So our loopholes are being flagrantly taken advantage of. So we must close those loopholes. And, you know, how do you, how do you, this Congress cracking down on people who well, are... Wait a minute. Yeah, how can we do that Congress, without a filibuster-proof this, Senate? No, this Congress is not going to close down those loopholes. This, you might have of to... Of course they're not. Of course, and that's to your point, that we need to continue to elect people. We need we need a filibuster-proof majority. Otherwise, none of this is going to happen. Or get rid of the filibuster. Well, you can get rid of the filibuster, but the truth is... When was the last time the Republicans had a filibuster-proof Senate? Go ahead, Ed. You know the... 1911. Forget the filibuster. The filibuster is extra-constitutional and probably unconstitutional. 1911. That's pretty impressive for these people to have controlled and failed this country as vast as they had just about in every single policy. Yeah, but you can't rely on Republicans necessarily. They have no ideas. I understand. They have zero ideas. But the scary thing, you guys, is that so many of the Republicans in Congress aren't even helping this problem at all. You have people like Jeff Flake and John McCain who may as well not even be Republicans. So not only do we need a filibuster-proof majority, we need a filibuster-proof majority of actual conservatives who will tackle this problem. Well, you know, in this last election, 46 of them didn't run for re-election. Well, yeah. I think in the last election, the Republicans were demoralized because they didn't have the courage to stand up for Trump. And so a lot of them thought he was going to be indicted or out of office. Well, but I, I mean, think there's I mean, a real come comeback. on, you're not being fair. Demoralize a guy demoralize. who... Demoralize. They're, they're wussy rhinos. Okay. I mean, if Donald Trump demoralizes right. you, you've got No, serious... they're demoralized themselves. Paul Ryan is Exhibit A. Wussy rhinos yeah. who they would not fight for conservative principles. Who walked but away think, with eight million bucks. Well, but I think that right now there's there's a real momentum building up for a conservative wave next year. I can see it in some of the congressional candidates that are coming up here in South Florida, and I think you're going to see a different Congress after November of 2020. Okay, now uh, can you uh, can you put that University of Chicago person in the back seat and allow your guest to speak no, a little? What do you think, Kristen? You have a guest sitting here. I'm going to serve him water. Kristen, what do you we think? Have, we, have a, we, have a, uh, we have a guest here that's probably, God knows, dr- driven from who knows where, flown from who knows where, trains, planes, and automobiles, and Ed doesn't let him speak. I want Mr. Gonez to say something. Uh, let people know. The audience is just dying to know who this gentleman is. So let him speak, Ed. Well, I'll answer you. Uh, your caller mentioned education, and you all were talking about education. A couple of things immediately come to mind that uh, are affecting us and affecting our immigrants. And uh, in addition to the immigrants, citizens that uh, still voting, that did not get the education that we got in civics, 
during our previous generation. And one of the things is that uh, science tells us a less informed population is easier to lead. And the other is if you don't know how you got what you have, you'll lose what you have. Mm -hmm. And so I think these so-called educators, when they took civics out of the classroom in the 60s, 70s, and what have you, uh, I think they knew what they were doing. And, and, God, and, and we have the uh, consequences today, and it's really a disservice. Whatever side of the political fence you are, at least get an education, make up your own mind. And, I, have, and have an interest in politics, because politics has an interest in you. Well, we, we have to. It's part of our civic responsibility, and just as a citizen of the United States, to maintain an interest and not turn our back on it. Yes, and uh, some of this, some of these issues just require uh, big ideas. And when I asked Ed, I wrote a book about reinventing the United States. Ed says, first of all, he won't read it, but the little he's read, he says, oh, it's very humorous. That's what he says in my book. And I said, this is the problem in the Republican Party. Too many attorneys are elected, period. And, you know, I always have this needling going on with attorneys. Uh um, I, I, you're not an attorney, right? Can you defend me on this one? Because I have two attorneys here in the studio. Christian. So, Christian, I need some help here, you know? Like, a, a, is, when you say that you write for the Hill, it's not like a Hill of Attorneys, did you? Hill. No, right? They're journalists over there. Okay. Right, yeah, thank goodness I'm not an attorney. I, I uh, That would be the least compatible uh, profession for me. <laughs> but, well, uh, I have no, a son that's an attorney, so I made one. You guys are saying. Here I am, anti-attorney for the most part, and I make an attorney. Do you oh, agree God. with us? Do you agree with Ray's uh, observations on education, Kristen? I do. Um, I will say I don't begrudge uh, lower-skilled people for coming here and, um, you know, wanting a better life. I think that, you know, by and large, a lot of immigrants who came to this country over the, the history of uh, its from the history of its founding, have been in that position. But again, I think it's about controlling the sheer numbers of people we let in and knowing who's coming in, because there's the crime element. There is there's the Muslim people. element. There's a lot of Muslims right. that look Mexican to me. Oh, well. <laughs> you know, I, you know. since this is uh, community radio, we can pretty much say whatever we want. So feel free to say whatever you couldn't say inside the... Uh, Whatever you couldn't say inside the newspaper, please say it today. You know, you'll have the, a file that you can always archive. Come to our station online and hear us live stream at wsqfradio.com forward slash live. You can always hear us in any part of the world that way. And then here locally, uh, you know, we are about 10 miles from Kibiskan. You can hear us live in your car on your in your car radio. But anything you would like to say, Christian, by all means, say it here, man. We compress these files, and they can be embedded and shared with anyone who wants to hear them. Well, that's awesome. I totally appreciate the uh, freedom of speech. It's not something you get on many platforms. But, um, no, I mean, I, I think I, I agree with you guys and the sentiments that uh, you've been expressing here. And, uh, unfortunately, I don't think that this immigration problem is something that's going to be solved in the near future. The last few months, we've seen record-breaking numbers of people coming across the border. 
And it's so important for conservatives not to forget about this and not to be demobilized because we need them to come out and vote in 2020 because I really believe the future of the country is at stake here. Um, I know everyone says that at every election, but this this one coming up, it, it feels even more even more true because if we get a Democrat in office, I don't care if it's a moderate like Joe Biden. Uh, I really believe you're going to see taxes go way up. The border will remain open and porous. As you mentioned earlier, we already have a significant percentage of the entire Guatemalan population living in this country, as well as some of those other Central American countries. In fact, I read that in the last 19 months, 1.7% of Guatemala's entire population came across our border. So if we get a Democrat in office, this will just get worse. Our laws will continue to get taken advantage of. And I really hope that uh, conservatives stay mobilized and go to the polls like they did in 2016, because it's it's really our only hope. Well, Kristen, I think we need to go to the polls like we did in 2010, because, for example, I think the Trumpster is in pretty strong shape for the presidency, but I also think we need to take the House back. And and when you look at the, the Democrats that were elected to the House, at least 20 or more of them were kind of moderate or semi-moderate. But the thing that voters have to realize, if you're voting for a Democrat, even if the individual might seem moderate, he votes for Nancy Pelosi. He votes for... Right. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. He votes for well, Elijah we Cummings. Remember, we have to remind people here locally in our district, we had a very, very yeah. decent uh, conservative candidate who was a known entity. She was on radio, on TV here for years, and she lost to yeah, Donna Shalala. There were two can, uh, congressional districts here that were flipped to Democrats, but the good news is that I think we're going to have strong candidates in both of those situations. Both of them made mistakes of criticizing Trump. Well, the trouble is, you got if you're going to run as a Republican, you got to be a Trumpster. You can't be, uh, you know, never Trump uh, at all. It's Trump's party, and you have to be a full bore conservative, not a rhino. Yeah, I think Trump single-handedly changed the Republican Party. Um, I also think in the last midterm, you know. It, Whoever the, the party in power is, it's the voters tend to kind of get lazy mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, oh, you have your guy in the, in the Oval Office, so why go out and vote for midterms? So I think a little bit of that played into it as well. Um, but hopefully all of these conservative voters realize how high the stakes are. Well, it goes back to what Mr. Gonis said. It's a civic duty. You've got to vote. I've always voted the moment I turned 18. I, I disagree with that. I, I there are a lot of people I hope don't vote. I think well, guess um, a what? Lot That's... Of college kids shouldn't be voting. I think if you're not informed, you probably shouldn't be voting. I don't uh, buy this whole line that a lot of people say everyone should be voting. Well, I, if, if I you're on food stamps, citizens should be voting. If you're on food stamps, if you're living in public housing, a lot of my friends <laughs> should not be voting. Well, there's a there's a lot there's a lot of truth to what you said, but. The only way to engage uh, a non-nut voter is to have them voting, because at least you have them on record as voting. The biggest problem with what you just said is what keeps the Republicans not having Election Day being a holiday. And guess what? People who are working and keep their jobs... No, but there's early voting. You can always vote. Oh, yeah, vote. early voting, uh, early disappearing votes. In you mean Texas and in like Florida. in Broward County, where no. the early voting well, ballots that, that's, disappeared. That's a question of the superintendent of elections. I'll yeah. give you a perfect example of uh, what Christian said, which might hold true. In the last election, the state of Florida mandated on Dade County, and we don't do too many things really good. But this thing we did do well. The the 
The head of the elections bureau is appointed by the county mayor. Therefore, there's skin in the game there. Your elections person can be fired because you appointed them. You can take them out really quick. Well, the state of Florida just mandated on the Dade County that we now have to elect the Board of Elections Commissioner, like the other counties that are so disgustingly corrupt that you can't fire these people. Brenda Snipes was a perfect example in Broward. She couldn't be fired for how many election cycles when Governor Sessions... She could have been fired. She could have. They just didn't want to because they didn't want to fire a black woman. That's the issue. That was Governor Scott's problem. Yep. And our biggest issue is... uh, you know, people who are working, a, you know, a couple jobs aren't going to come to vote. They're just not. They're not going to come to vote. Now, Republicans say that who's holding two jobs? Democrats. I say that if you're working, I want to be able yeah, to you're educate. you're a Republican, right. If, if you're working and you keep your job and you're having two jobs, you're a hardworking person, at least I have the seeds well, of something I can address well, and get them to vote. As I like to say, Republicans work for a living and Democrats vote for a living. Uh, not bad. <laughs> not, not bad, Ed. That was pretty good. That was damn good. That was really good. Did that come from your hat? You're making, I, I make... learned that at the University of Chicago, so I knew. Oh, I, I see. I see that. Okay. Now, what are we going to do about this persistent call for impeachment? Uh, I kind of like the fact that he would be impeached in the House because the same Clinton effect will occur. He'll get, uh, he'll get reelected, and I think people will be appalled. If, they were, if the American people were appalled when... Bill Clinton was impeached. That was a big mistake on our part because it was a tacky type of impeachment, you know, over Monica Lewinsky. That is like soap opera type politics. And it really cost us because we should have been more dignified. And notice how we failed to get him on at Whitewater, on Whitewater, and we went this route. So I basically gave Mr. Gonez uh, the segue for him to, to comment. So, Christian, thank you, thank you very much for the call. I hope you'll call us again. Thank you so much for having me. Would love to join you guys anytime. Yeah, come well, down to Key Biscayne. Yeah, come back, uh, come back to Nixon's Winter White House. I show you where his house no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have thank a you. Good day. Okay, so it's time for us to to call for expertise on what really. We'll stop this this train. You've got something with fingers today. Yeah, That's have, like it's very distracting. We and, have another caller at five thirty-five. So what am I supposed to do? Shut up until they call? No, no, no. 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 Just we can't me. have dead air in the radio. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? When you guys whisper like two girls, yep. Everybody hears it. I hear you. These are German microphones. They hear burps. I thought they were Cuban microphones. Yeah, Cuban microphones. You know, you can stick your hair in your your finger in your ear and scratch earwax, no, and you can hear it. The reason I'm saying that is that uh, we have another caller at uh, five thirty-five, who is Frank Mealy. He's a uh, he's with Heartland Diary. He has a column on real clear politics, and he wrote about the Cloward Piven theory of immigration. So I thought our first hour would be on immigration, and then Re- Roy will handle Im- uh, impeachment starting at six. So. That's how oh, we had Oh, that's it. where all that finger that, pointing was. Yes. Well, we had it in, in the... Ex- executive in the, producer it, finger pointing. Well, it's, it's in the... It, it sounds the, like an attorney talking to right. a layman to me. Yes, that, that is true. So, but anyway, I mean, the, the point, uh, immigration and impeachment are related because I think a lot of the uh, congressmen that are for open borders are also the ones that are looking to impeach Trump. So we'll we'll get to that. But I think... Uh, Kristen makes a good point because it's interesting. She she said she really became aware of the issue of immigration when she moved from New Hampshire to Texas. 
And I think part of what's going on with the current immigration boom, which is uh, overflowing and really flooding the zone, is really they're trying to turn Texas blue. They think that all these immigrants are going to register to vote, which they do in many cases, and they're going to vote Democrat. And that's really what's happening here. The Democrat Party is trying to change the electorate of America. Yeah, instead of changing their ideas, they're they're trying to change the electorate. That's what they did in in California. And so what they did was they brought in these low-value-added people, low-human capital people, people who are illiterate, landless peasants in Mexico, in Central America, and they're happy to be taken care of by the government. They're not self-reliant. They're not self-sufficient. They can barely speak Spanish. Sometimes they don't even speak Spanish. And that's the issue of the, uh, the whole immigration crisis. Uh, and that's why we have these two two callers uh, to to look at these issues. Okay. Well, the the there's there's another issue that needs to be addressed. And Christian was getting ready to go there, but I don't think she was. What do you think that was? I believe that uh, not only do we have fifty percent of the people not paying taxes at all, but we also have a serious birth rate crisis in this country. Well, that's serious part of it. Yep. And when you have a serious birth rate crisis in this country of secular people. What happens is there's no one to pay Social Security tomorrow. It has to shut down. And if it's going to shut down, where, where do you think the American people are going to reach into to get new population growth? Latin America. And therefore, we're kind of like stepping all over ourselves. Here we are dealing with this illegal immigration issue. And the United States, whether it likes it or not, has to join forces. Not join forces, just dollarize dollarize the Latin American economy. And I had... That could be, yep. If we dollarize the Latin American economy, then obviously we can squeeze Guadillos out when they want to get elected and stay uh, stay in power, like in the case of Chavez and Maduro. Notice how uh, Correa in Ecuador wanted to stay an extra term, wanted to change the Constitution. Guess what? With a U.S. dollar-based uh, Ecuadorian economy, they squeezed them out and threatened him with loans Cut off the spigot if you don't get the hell out of there. Sure enough, he toned down his rhetoric, allowed the elections, and nobody heard about Correa wanting to stay there forever. And he was young enough and American-educated, so he knew enough to stay in power. And because of the dollarized economy, he just went away. Now, he could run again someday. I won't doubt that. But if you don't have a dollarized economy, uh, Chinese are going to take over Latin America. Right now, the largest industrial park in Latin America is being built right now in the port of Mariel. It's 128 square miles with very little activity, but built. And guess what? Sooner or later, the Castro's have to go, and sooner or later, the United States has to wake up and smell the coffee and realize that the greatest economic alliance in the history of mankind has can and should be the, the, the alliance between North and South America, simply because of the fresh water resources. That alone yeah, is- but first we have to get uh, the imperialism of the Russians, the Chinese, and the Iranians is- out of the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, well, I agree. But I think it requires a total about-face on the harshest reality of all, turning your back on white Europe. It's done. It's over. Europe isn't white anymore. Yes, it's Sharia now. And because it's Sharia now, they're not. their GDP is stuck at one5 5% for the last 40 years. And for Americans listening, guess what the 1.5 GDP is synonymous with? Single-payer health care in 1992. Originally started in 78 in the UK. 
And it no, became, 48. National Health Service goes back to 1948. In the and, UK? Uh, yes. In but England. it wasn't single payer. It was just National no, Health Service. No, it was Service. National Health Service. That, there, there was only one payer. And no, but you weren't paying into it. It was no, just the coming out of general revenue. It, right? yes. And one of their first That's victims. That's different than single payer. Yeah, but one of their first victims was George Orwell, who uh, died in 1949 for mistreatment of some minor disease. So that's well. The that's biggest where it went. the biggest issue with uh, the healthcare, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here because uh, we're preparing for this caller that's coming. But the the problem with nationalized healthcare is there's no fear of being unemployed. The biggest motivator for a man to keep his job is to ensure his children's health and his wife, obviously, and that includes childbearing and all the other things associated with it. So. It impacts a family from the get-go. The problem is that Europe, 70% in Finland, 50% in France, 40-something percent in England, and so on and so on, are born out of wedlock. So there is no family unit. Why? Because people are just cohabitating. Well, in America, we're at 40%. Huh? In America, we're at 40%. No, I think it's a little higher than that. I think it's higher than that. I think we're already at past 50, 51. No, not, 50. not for the whole population. 40, yeah, 40 to 43. It's a harsh reality, but I wrote it in my book. I researched it. It's it's beyond 50%. But you you don't even understand your generation and my generation. Notice there's like a 50-year age difference between Ed and I. So Ed looks over to... Eight-year. <laughs> okay, I just wanted you to call me on that. So... The next generation is not getting married, and out of wedlock birth is rampant. And the kids, you know, 10 year. well, I have a 27-year-old kid, so his generation. <clears throat> so look at me. Here's me as a perfect example. I have two kids with two women, okay? There you go. Two ten, baby mamas. 10 years apart. All right. All right? And Let's that's just the that. re- reality. Should be Frank Neely. This is WSQF 94.5. You're on the Concrete Conservative Show with Ed Vidal. And Mac on the Rock, who am I speaking to? Give me the pleasure and let me know who you are. This is Frank Neely calling from Kalispell, Montana. Wow. God's country. God's country. Now, what's the name of your your Heartland Diary? Is that right? It's uh, heartlanddiaryusa.com. Great. Well, thank you very much for calling, Frank, because today we're, at the first hour, we're talking about immigration. And we had Kristen Tate, who's a libertarian columnist, and she's written on the cost that uh, immigration is imposing on us and the political difficulty on the Hill of uh, stopping this uh, out-of-control illegal immigration. But I saw that you wrote an interesting article a couple of weeks ago on your column in Real Clear Politics, where you drew back to the 1960s, maybe showing your age, and at Columbia University there were a couple of professors, Cloward and Piven, and they said the way to flood or the way to overthrow the American system is to flood the zone, to get people on welfare, to, and, and, and this illegal immigration seems to be a, uh, a coming right out of that playbook. What do you say? Absolutely. Uh, I was, I was uh, surprised I was listening to Rush Limbaugh this morning, and, and he was hitting on that same point. Uh, uh, hammering on uh, Joe Biden for his hypocrisy, uh, switching his points of view. But uh, he mentioned in the midst of that argument that uh, that the influx of, of immigrants was to flood the welfare system and essentially bring down the, the system. And when you go back to uh, uh, Cloward and Piven and the, you know, they, they wrote that, uh, proposed that strategy in 1966 to uh, to force basically redistribution of wealth 
uh, by by making more and more people dependent on the government. Uh, when you go back to that 1960s, uh, basically revolution, um, you find all kinds of stuff tied into that, which has played out, you know, over the last 50 years. It's hard to believe that they were that far thinking, uh, and that the rest of us were so oblivious. But uh, there's there's so many pieces of it that fit together, uh, leading to Obama, and you know. That's why Trump's election was so important because he put he put the stop on it at least for now. Well, Frank, why don't you detail to us some of those uh, pieces? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, the uh, as, as you mentioned, the Cloward and Piven uh, uh, were basically independently coming up with this idea of of uh, flooding the, the welfare system, and and what kind of brought that to my mind. Uh, for that column a couple of weeks ago was was uh, Chris Kobach uh, uh, talking to Lou Dobbs about how uh, he had gone to the border and discovered that this old Obama policy was still in place where the immigrants, the illegal immigrants who come across the border, were get, being given immigration parole, which basically says you go to court, you say, yeah, I'm here illegally, but you know, uh, I want to apply for asylum or whatever. And then the court says, okay, here's this parole. It allows you to stay in the country until we call you back, which is like five or six years for their trial dates. And and if you get the immigration parole, you can get on welfare within a year, oh, uh, even though you're an illegal immigrant. So that that just shocked me. And, and I, so I went back to, to Cloward and Piven and, and to some studies I'd done previously, like, when Obama was uh, was was in office, uh, to to look at you know how how does the system get overwhelmed, and one of the things that ties into this is um, the, uh, the Bill Ayers, the, the Weather Underground guy. Right. He 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 in his uh, manifesto that he co-wrote with the Weather Underground, uh, you don't need a weatherman to see which way the wind blows. Uh, he wrote in there that. Uh, there were two components to overthrowing the system, which they called an imperialist system. Uh, one was to create many Vietnams to get the U.S. involved in a lot of wars uh, so that people would start getting disgusted with the federal government and, and, and try to figure out why are we spending all these billions, in this case trillions of dollars. Uh, sounds like Bill they- Ayers was on W's uh, cabinet. It is shocking to see how how they have uh, played the system, and and the other the other component of it was well there were three I guess one the other component being welfare and and overcrowding the system, and the third was getting breaking down the family structure and getting children to be revolutionaries by a getting them on drugs, b getting them to think that uh, sex outside of marriage was a great thing. And so they were doing things that were not approved of by the church, by the parents. And then, and then the next thing you know, they're like, you know, maybe rules aren't that important. Maybe, you know, the traditions that my parents grew up in really aren't that important. And I can do whatever I want. Well, that's, and, that's uh, the 60s uh, revolution right there. Yep. That's, the nut, that's where it all began. That's what we're still doing, right? I believe so. Yeah. I, all, the, all the feminists got involved in the anti-war movement, which really was this peace movement. And they're the ones that push for no-fault divorce. They wrote a white paper about it in 1948. Guess who did it? Absolutely. The Association of Female Attorneys. 
And then they got uh, Ronald Reagan to sign it in 1970, called the Family Act. In and it California. spread to all 59, to the other 59 states, uh, up until New York, uh, maybe three or four years ago, uh, New York finally uh, was befallen by no-fault divorce. I don't know how they held out so long, considering what a liberal state it was. But no-fault divorce has crushed the middle class. It just devastated. It's the, it was the cheapest way to corporate, to climb the corporate ladder by the non-breadwinner taking the breadwinner's home in a divorce. It's the quickest way up. Yeah. And guess what? She ended up foreclosing. <laughs> And guess, and some guys never bounce back from a divorce. They just uh, immersed in child support, and they never, they never get out of it. And they, they end up making less. And there's probably five studies that say the opposite: that once a man <laughs> takes off his shackles, he makes more money as a single man. So, in that discussion, we are completely becoming conflict of interest voters, and they're all over the country. And you saw just in this last election after. The victory of Donald Trump two years later, Pelosi's back, Speaker of the House, running the chain gang of conflict of interest voters. And look how they're distracting us now when we should be indicting people well, for their spike. We're, we're pretty, I'm pretty optimistic, though, that we're going to have a conservative bounce back in the next election. Will we have 60 senators, though? I, uh, forget the filibuster rule. Huh? We're not going to have 60 senators. Okay, we're not going to have 60 yeah. senators, but you're going to let Mitch McConnell not wave yeah, the cocaine. Fil- Mitch, we got to take care of him. <laughs> where do you where do you get that from? Jeez, cocaine. Yeah, Mitch? I don't know. That's his M- M- nickname. Yeah, they call him cocaine. Yeah, let's let's not go there. Uh, <laughs> it, it, the fact the fact is, you know, that this kind of revolution uh, against tradition and against the Constitution has been going on for over a hundred years now. You know, going back to that progressive movement that started in the early 1900s, and and one of the things I did when I was researching this, uh, and my next book is going to be on this whole topic of uh, how did we get here, uh, and and John Dewey, the yes. education philosopher yep. uh, uh, from the University of Chicago and Columbia. Yep. Notice, notice, emphasize, please. Could both, you say that again? Both. University of Chicago. Right, right, right. Over and over again, say it, please, because Ed seems to be talking about him all the time. No, no, and no when I you, understand. And, and when you include you know, Dewey, could you include... you another name there. Uh, Look how he changes the subject. Walter Rauschenberger and his social gospel book around 1906. Uh-huh, and, and you're That's excluding... another guy. And you're excluding John That's D. Rockefeller, who funded it all? No, Come no. Come on, with the first put, teacher's college uh, that you say Dewey did? Dewey, uh-huh. Yeah, Dewey sure. founded that. But I would say, look at Walter Rauschenberger. He published a social gospel around 1906 or 08, and I think that was part of uh, the unraveling of the uh, Protestant uh, mainstream churches. Right. And you got Bernays uh, writing the book about propaganda and how mm-hmm. to manipulate the masses mm-hmm. uh, a little bit later in the teens, I think. Uh, how about the Leipzig? How about on. the Leipzig uh, connection with the German uh, experimental psychologists infiltrated? Not infiltrating, they were recruited by Rockefeller to create the first teachers' college at the University of Chicago. No, at Columbia University. Uh, yeah, uh, Columbia, Columbia. This. Okay. And, and what's important about that whole John Dewey Chicago phenomena that eventually led to Bill Ayers and, and and a lot of other trouble uh, was, you know, that they they came up with this philosophy that instead of education being used to pass on the norms and traditions of a culture so that, you know, we had this normative kind of uh, understanding about what what life was about, they encouraged that every generation would reinvent it based on what they felt was 
what you know what these teenagers basically and, and even children you know felt like they wanted to do with their lives and so you mean you eat transgender teach- experiment would be in the opposite <laughs> sex for a half of your life hey that, there you go that's, that's exactly that's- what's going on and there's a lot of kids that actually See other kids here change. Not here yet, but uh, well, there was one case, unfortunately, okay. and it ended. It ended poorly, with a suicide. Well, anyway, it all gets back to this, and, and then now it ended with a suicide. Point where we're using immigration basically to to corrupt the country, to corrupt the values, because we bring these people in without any effort to assimilate them whatsoever. I mean, it, I, I I wouldn't even mind if there were illegal immigrants coming in if. They were somehow taken under the wing of the society and brought into, you know, because obviously before 1900, people were immigrating to the country. There wasn't a whole lot of control. Chinese. Chinese immigration. People used to want to immigrate. And now now there's no, there's no, absolutely no effort to, to, you know, continue. And it it really amazes me that, like, France fell for this, you know, the great, you know, the great French culture. Forget it. You know, for so many years was like, oh, we must protect against, you know, for, the words, you know, listen. Big Mac and, you know, whatever it was. They, they wouldn't allow any corruption of their culture. And now they're like, oh, well, we're going to be a Muslim country in about 20 years. Yeah. Frank, and, I, I was uh, I immigrated from Cuba in 1966 when I was nine years old. My family settled in Chicago and I went to Chicago public schools through eighth grade. And uh, in 1970, we had a civics class, and we had to learn about the Constitution and separation of powers and all that stuff. And this was in the Chicago Public Schools in 1970. So something happened after that. It's called the multiple choice well, exam. I don't know. It's yeah. the most dumbed down <laughs> philosophy in the history of schooling. And you both had to get your law degrees by answering multiple choice exams. When no, they're they're also gi- essay exams. Uh, thank God for that. But multiple choice exam was a product of the first teacher's college. Cause and effect. Instead of reasoning and curiosity, wanting to find the answer yourself, they gave you the answers in the multiple choice. You just had to pick the best one or none of the above. And guess what? Six generations of multiple choice exam has caused the dumbing down of America. I can't even talk to someone for more than three minutes before they want so to you're, you're leave. Even the natives are, are even dumber than the immigrants? Is that what you're Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. We're all dumb and dumber. Our all kids right. don't have any desire to listen to us, period. They're being educated by their cell phone, and we don't even know yeah. it. What the TV did to my generation, the phone's doing to the next one, and they brought the TV to your pocket. <laughs> now your TV's in your pocket. You can't get your kids to listen to you, and who's educating your kids? The freaking cell phone. I've seen my daughter lying there with a phone right up against her face, burning her eyeballs out. She's underneath the sheets. I'm falling asleep at 930. I can't police her much longer than that because I'm I'm asleep. And she's up all night. I wake up. uh, I see her in the morning to go to school. And I see that she's kind of like in a comatose state, getting water like an android. She looks like a cell phone as she leaves my house. She really does. And... uh, you add Facebook and Instagram and all the other ridiculous mind-altering so, stuff. You should ask her if androids dream of electric sheep. Well, I'll tell you this. Every time I, I contest this lifestyle of hers, she looks at me and said, Hey, Dad, have you looked at my grade book? And oh, then, she's got good grades. Yeah, and she yeah. got good grades. Well, guess what? I put it to a test one day. And this is very serious because... Mm-hmm. I can say that I'm doing something about it in this state because I was mm-hmm. the first to fire the, the, the direct ballot parent trigger 
mm-hmm. law that was passed in 96. I was the first to use it in, in the state's history. I don't like people looking at me with that dumb face when I'm working my butt off to change the law, okay? And the biggest the biggest problem we have is they don't really teach writing skills. Syntax errors are grave, okay? Really grave. But you if can use Grammarly. In, you can do computer programs. I'm sorry. I wrote you. a book with Grammarly, and the Grammarly didn't do that well no. with syntax errors. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, well, I, I even... Um, I was uh, teaching freshman English at the University of Arizona in uh, the early 1980s, uh, 79-81, and uh, uh, even then, uh, I had students coming into my English class uh, that, that they would turn in their first essay, and I, I would, I think I failed like 80% of the people on their first essay, and they all came into my office the next day crying and saying, but, but I was a straight-A student in high school. And I'm like, it doesn't matter if you're a straight-A student. You don't know the basic rules of grammar. You don't know what a sentence is. You, you, know, you don't know how to put an argument together. Don't look at me. Go back and tell your teachers you're disappointed that they didn't teach you anything. Well, there's, there's an issue in public school system that overcrowding forces the system to push you along through the grades because you can't. there's a bunch of kids coming. You can't hold a kid back. I repeated first grade. Yeah, I, was, I was a stutterer. And look, now I'm on the radio talking all night, and I won't shut up. But I don't give that credit to the public school system. I give the credit to my mother, who made sure that I got speech therapy and all that stuff. And now you can't shut me up. What's up with that? There's a serious crisis going on, and guess what? I'm the only guy out there with a solution, and everybody's criticizing me because so, no one's joined me. So, Frank, what do you see the the immigration uh, problem going? Do you see it getting resolved? You see it being uh, at least uh, stopped? I mean, I mean the, the reason that I wrote that column was because it looks to me like, you know, and I was hopeful that that we would actually be able to put the Mueller, you know, fake dossier thing behind us and, mm-hmm. and, it, and that Trump was going to actually move on what he promised he was going to do, which is, you know, keep us safe at the border. Uh, and I think there's movement in that direction for sure. Uh, he's made some changes that, that are that are optimistic. Yeah, he's got uh, a billion five from the Pentagon he, for the wall now. You guys are just hilarious. Yeah. He's male reality. You know, to, to other, you know, distractions and you know, I, there's obviously a, a clique of people who want to make sure he fails. And, I, I mean, I have a lot of confidence in Trump, you know, playing the right hand. Uh, I'm, I'm I think, sure I think the most Trump can do of, in eight uh, years is maybe, maybe 700 miles of wall. And then you, you still have 1,200 miles of open border. And, it's yeah. not, and that's, well, that's what's really disappointing. The entire border. There is a way. There is a way to do it. Absolutely, there's a way. You just have to have the will. And I propose this every time I'm on this show. And and people who studied it, who study the border, always are dumbfounded with an idea that's bigger than it's the bigger than the problem. And that is running a train from San Diego to Brownsville, moving cargo, fifty feet up in the air, right through the freaking Rio Grande on the Mexico side of the border, so you're not tied up with lawsuits. And then Mexico will pay for it. And it competes with the Panama Canal. And every time the train stops to unload cargo, it goes to Mexico's side as well. And creating free zones right there, employing people instead of drugs and drug gangs. And all of the people I speak to, you included, and, and the faces of the guys in the crowd, you can imagine their faces. They're like deer with headlights. Don't get it. So 
I wrote a book about it. I answered all the questions. I used the Federal Powers no, Act. That's good. And and then Ed calls it humorous. No, no, that's good. I think uh, uh, Manny's idea of having a wall with an elevated train is actually a good idea. With a natural gas pipeline in, in the bulwark. Right. And it goes the entire yeah. 1,900 miles. And, and, and you're going to compete with the Panama Canal. That's absolutely. a good idea. Absolutely. And, and then we get the tariffs and trades kind of coerced because the cargo ships now have to... Uh, no, no, no. Leave it. People can compete. You know, we had, no, what I'm saying is to fund the train, in other mm-hmm. words, to support the train after it's built, an infrastructure bank is set up. No infrastructure bank. Forget it. Well, That's guess, more corruption. Yeah, well, guess what? The American people should own this train, not the government. No, no. Make it a private train, I say. Privatize That's what I just train. said. With an infrastructure bank no, no. that, I, that I writes the loans. infrastructure bank than the gas tax, so yep. go with well, guess what? The uh, the natural gas that runs through the bulwark is yeah. taxable. What about, what about uh, Frank, what do you think of E-Verify? Do you think that will ever be enforced? Uh-huh. <laughs> could, could you explain to me why it isn't enforced? Right. I mean, it, it's absurd. I mean, you, you know, if you enforce even, it... Even Mitt Romney was smart enough to figure out that if you don't... If there are no jobs, the people will leave. Right. <laughs> but... But, but the, you know, as uh, Lou Dobbs constantly complains about the Chamber of Horrors, uh, his new name for the Chamber of Commerce, oh, uh, yeah. there, there's this, you know, this uh, entrenched money power uh, that, uh, that is uh, stopping it at every op- opportunity. Well, not only yeah. that, but it's very aligned with the left, because every time the left comes up with a ludicrous idea, there's money to be made in a bad idea. Well, Perfect example is, remember when we have beautiful paper bags? And then they they tree hug they tree hug the paper trees and all that. Well, guess what? There yeah. was money to be made in selling plastic bags. And for the last forty years, we've been selling plastic no, bags. We don't have plastic and now bags, the same right. tree huggers are saying, no "Oh my God, bags. these bags are up whales' noses." Well, here, I think you guys are and making now, a good point because a lot of the opposition to border control is not only from the left, but also a lot of biz- Republican business interests. Not only do they want cheap labor. Hello, they, we would starve. Who in the hell's going right, to farm right, the well, land? Well, no, I think there are a lot of young yeah, uh, nah, teenagers. Nah, nah. Yeah, nah, teenage nah. unemployment. But the other point is that all this immigration really contributes to revenue. You hear what to you just said? You just say that. Mm-hmm. You just said that. No, no, they're teenage they're, they're unemployment. unemployment. Like they're going to bend over and pick yeah, up potatoes yeah. in, in 100 degree weather. They won't. They've got a Game Boy to play. That's well. That's part of it. But the other part is that a lot of businesses really gain from the welfare state. For example, Walmart, fifty percent of their revenue is from groceries, and three percent of that is from food stamps. So, in effect, their profit margin is one percent. Yes, but one hundred percent of their products. Or from China. Well, no, that's another factor. Yeah, half I have their nine. Products, I have eighty-nine grocery products. Time out. I have eighty-nine hundred products in my hardware store below this yep. station. And, and any, all of them. And you know China? how many are built, uh, made in the United States? Give me an answer. Three of them. Yeah, yeah it's cheating because you've been asked this before. <laughs> it's four. Okay, oh, and it's four out of eighty-nine hundred. That's the crisis. The rest come from China, huh? The rest, the rest come from is one hundred percent China. So well, where are these things? There's some be exceptions. Built? Vietnam. Now we're raising the the tariffs then, so I guess some countries like Vietnam may, uh, will will pick up some business. Uh, I don't think so. I think no, everybody's no. lying to you. If Trump, if Trump doesn't succeed as this, he might not get reelected. Mm, okay, that we'll could be see. a catastrophe in the wake. If the Chinese call his bluff and this well, continues, and this continues for ten months, mm-hmm. we're in deep yeah. deep doodle because you'll break the back of people who who loved him and supported him. 
Because people don't well, like it's that. Hurt the, it's going to hurt the agriculture. You know, and I just don't know if he's got the gumption to do it or not. I think ultimately the only way through the system is for him to use the crisis, as Barack Obama and, and Rahm Emanuel used to say, don't let a crisis go to waste. If he uses the crisis, it actually does something that is going to mean he's going to have to go to court and fight it, but he's going to do it anyway, like, you know, put the army on the border and, and actually use them, not just as a, a supply guys, but as actual army guys, uh, or does this policy that he talked about probably in jest of sending the illegal immigrants to the sanctuary cities, if he just does any of these things, or, you know, his, big, his biggest mistake and says, I'm going to arrest you if you don't do it. Uh, yeah. He should have done what Barack Obama did. But it might work. Well, guess what? I don't know where we go. You touched upon something that it was obvious. He should not have gone publicly, as Obama didn't. If Obama could stick 75,000 Somalis in Minnesota to the point where they get elected their own congressman in Miss Omar, there's no reason why Trump, if he would have shut up his mouth, sent... Everybody on the border to the sanctuary cities like Obama sent to Minnesota. And guess what? He talked about it. Now there's, uh, what do you guys call it? Mo- uh, Momentum? No, legal stuff already waiting to go for him to drop one bus full of people in the sanctuary city. Oh, yeah. And the left will start firing lawsuits and stop the whole thing. And yet Obama was yeah, able it- to get 75,000 Somalis. And that's the biggest problem I have, and it motivated me to build this radio station because it was very frustrating to see a lot of people, much more intelligent than I, not thinking straight. Right, right now, you guys are talking. I mentioned we all talked about this China thing, and it's obvious that the only thing that Trump can do right now in this trade war is fund opposition groups in China, create a Tiananmen Square in the middle of this tariff war, so that they have to buckle and sign. But nobody will mention it. They'll do it to us. They're funding leftist groups right now. Him and Soros, who's invested in the shorting of the dollar, dying to see the dollar collapse so he can finally create his his grand master plan at the age of 80-something since he's done it to other countries. It's obviously what Soros is up to. He's shorting the dollar. He wants it to collapse so that he can own all the dollars and sell it back to the United States like he's done with other countries. And guess what? Trump should be funding opposition groups in China right now who are blowing up churches all over the place. It's that serious, but no, we are too smart. We're too civilized, and we're not playing, you know, what they say, what what uh, Ed Vidal and I know that's very common in parochial terms is, uh, it's called in Spanish, jugar al duro sin guante. Play hardball without a glove. That's right. Play, play baseball without gloves. And yep. that's the real reality. you got to shake China up. Otherwise, these guys might call our bluff. All right. Well, yeah, Frank, well that, that's, where, that's where Trump's strength is. But unfortunately, sometimes he doesn't go to his strength. Yep. Well, Frank. So, what do you what what do you uh, how would you wrap up your uh, your article and your view on this issue? What issue? Yeah. We talked about twenty five of them. Could you no, the, on immigration. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I I believe that there. I, it seems highly unlikely with the remaining two years of his term. He's going to accomplish what we want him to have happen. So he has to find a way to get reelected. I'm hoping that he's going to release those uh, classified documents that are going to point the finger at Comey and, and the boys in the uh, Justice Department. Amen. Yeah, and maybe at Obama uh, himself. 
and I'm hoping that his plan all along has been to hold that stuff back until such time as it's really going to sink into the electorate just before the election, and, and it's going to make a difference, and he's going to get a, If he gets another four years with the courts and, and so many different things, it's going to make a huge difference, uh, even if we don't get the House back, which I find it hard to believe we won't, but if we don't get the House back, obviously it's a lot harder. But with the courts on our side, we're going to have a much easier time. Well, this pretty much ends uh, this particular segment. I can't thank you enough for calling. I hope that uh, Ed reaches out to you again. And Thank you, Frank. And uh, you, you call us again and again because uh, you definitely got my, you got, you got my, oh, my juices flowing here. <laughs> you, you also to mine. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. Thank Remember, thegreatwallofwill.com. Check it out. You can see you exactly. You your book published. Yeah. And that's all Ed does. Instead of thanking me and giving me an award for giving 348 pages for free online so that more people can read it, he only wants to smell the paper from Barnes & Noble to read it himself because he needs to have a highlighter to read a book. Yeah. Okay, take care, Frank. Take care. And that really is amazing. It really is. uh, I call for the reinvention of the United States. So this whole thing was about this. Everything about this, this insanity was to build this. was all driven from losing my freedom of speech in the school thing, right? But what I have that most people don't have is the fact that I can think on the right side of a box instead of just outside the box. And it's slowly related to being an immigrant, watching my dad leave me millions of dollars with broken English, me, me not doing well in school, so I know what, what school didn't do for me, living the life I just described, which was Kind of like Trumpish, you know, two children, two different moms. He's got what four children, three different moms. It really works on yeah, but you. But he he did it with immigrants. Huh? So he did it with two immigrants out of the three. So, oh, know. I did it with one out of two. Oh, okay. it was a big right, deal, right. you know. See, he makes up these these. <laughs> he's like a cumulus cl- cloud, you know. I can see it, but you know what the hell does it mean? Absolutely nothing, and. If we don't reinvent this country, and you guys will keep on repeating reform. Look at the wall. I saw that. I told Ted Cruz, Ted, I'm sorry to tell you, you're going to lose this election. Because I listened to you for four days, five rows of seats in the back of my Yukon, all those drips with their laptops talking garbage to you, and you, all you could see was my face frowning, and I just had to wait for you to ask me what seems to be your problem. And he finally did in front of all of them. And I said, they're all full of ships. Okay, because you're paying a lot of money for them. And guess what? The only way you can beat Trump in this election, because you're smarter than everybody else in the room, is to take off this caustic demeanor, abrasive demeanor of yours and put a train on a wall and beat him on a better wall. And today we would be talking about commerce, business, forging the alliance with L.A., a wall coming down your face with a huge train on. And we'd be talking about the train, the tax zones, the free zones, not about immigrants and the affect of this beautiful thing is hasn't been thought about or talked about since another guy with your name. And that's when he it dawned on him. Teddy Roosevelt had the ambitious idea of completing the Panama Canal while those people were dying in, in, a, in a time which was same the looks. fever and all that. Yes. And he had the vision to say, you know what? We're finishing that stuff. Yeah. You stupid French can never finish it. And he did it. And look, he changed society forever on this side of the planet, which is the Western Hemisphere. It cut it changed cargo forever. So why not do it again? Only okay. this time with natural gas. 
And, right. and Ed just goes, that's humorous. Okay, right, so now well, we're going impeachment. And now we're going to the second hour of our program, and we have a, a local expert, Roy Gonas, who's a distinguished local attorney. And Roy's been pretty patient because and, every time I ask him to make a comment on these other subjects, he's withheld. Though. And a Fulbright uh, speaker overseas in, in the Ukraine. Do you have any Ukrainian connections that you want to tell us about before you start? Or why don't you tell us about your own? No, it's just that uh, I had received an invitation to lecture abroad, and okay. and uh, I became a Fulbright. Uh, the uh, first grant offer came from the uh, Law Academy in Odessa, and I accepted it. And then uh, additional invitations started coming, and then the uh, National... Uh, what was it, the National Science Group in um, Hungary okay. and the Institute for Legal Studies under that. Their director uh, put in for a grant and invited me to come over. So I've been lecturing, doing lecture series in Hungary as well as Ukraine. And this subject of impeachment, uh, what we're going to be talking about largely comes from one of my lecture series because the whole thing started with Fulbright as uh, I'm an arbitrator as well as an attorney and mm -hmm. it was an international commercial arbitration so I give a series on that and then the universities of uh, law schools there have asked that I speak more on American jurisprudence and the law students like history mm -hmm. well I like history too so it fit and when I was preparing my lectures for lecture series in American jurisprudence and knowing how much of our jurisprudence came out of the so-called Marshall Court in the 1800s, uh, came across the impeachment of Justice Samuel Chase, and uh, that really reared its head. And uh, well, explain to the audience, Samuel Chase. I, I, I'm, I'm going to. I, I'd be happy to get into that. Since we're talking about impeachment, let's let's keep something in mind. It, uh, be careful what you ask for. Uh, this is a term in my judgment being thrown around a little bit too loosely. Impeachment was addressed, is addressed in Federalist 65, part of those essays, to support the draft of the United States Constitution. And it's a, 65 is attributed to Alexander Hamilton. You needed a vehicle in case a public official got out of, started to act in a way not consistent with the benefit of the public and, and legal and some other associated matters as as Congress may may determine. The magic words are in the Constitution for treason, bribery, and high crimes and misdemeanors, whatever that means. And what happened in 1804 is that Thomas Jefferson, as president, made an attack on the court. Let's face it, Thomas Jefferson did not like the Constitution. He was a troublemaker. He even as vice president, back in a time when uh, John Adams was president, whoever came in number two was vice president, and these two came from different political philosophies. John Adams being a Federalist and Jefferson being a so-called Democrat-Republican. I'll use the term Jeffersonians. And even then, as vice president of the United States, suggesting that the president be impeached and contacted a congressman to pursue that. Unfortunately, the congressman did not. And some other things started to develop. Now, we all know throughout American history, we have a president from one party, and he selects uh, 
judges of a particular philosophy or believe political or not political, but judicial legal philosophy. And then another president, another party will have one, uh, a group of judges of another. Well, Adams being a Federalist and believing in developing a strong union, all the judges were Federalists. Then comes Jefferson. Jefferson gets himself elected, 1800, and uh, he does not like what happens when Marshall becomes head of the Chief Justice, Chief Justice of the United States. Lame duck president, John Adams, nominated him, and the lame duck Senate confirmed the nomination. Mr. Marshall had tremendous persuasion over people for two reasons principally, his personality and his tremendous legal intellect. And he was a diehard Federalist, even though he came from Virginia. And Thomas Jefferson decided to attack the court. John Marshall almost had the status of a George Washington, so he did not pick on the Chief Justice. He had an era that was unmatched after Washington. So he goes after someone else on the court who ruled similarly as Marshall, and that was Samuel Chase. Chase did not have a good personality. He had some defects, treason, bribery, high crimes and misdemeanors, no. And the whole thing was politically started by Jefferson. And interestingly enough, there was a senator Plummer from New Hampshire said, well, we have an infidel as president, and we have a murderer as vice president. Now, Aaron Burr, who came in second on the 35th ballot that elected Jefferson, was lame duck, and as vice president of the United States, he was president of the Senate. And they in, impeached a judge from a lower, lower court which did not draw that much attention, not like what happened to Chase. And then what happened after that, the uh, articles uh, came down. There were seven or eight articles uh, of impeachment that went to the Senate. Now, the Senate was controlled by Jeffersonians, and Burr was no friend of Jefferson's. Although when it went to the Senate for trial, Jefferson all of a sudden decides to make friends with Burr invites him to dinner, at then what we refer to as the White House, uh, gives Burr's son-in-law a job with uh, Louisiana Purchase property. In fact, uh, three people very, very close to Burr were offered or given positions by, the, by President Jefferson. Burr was not known to be a man of principle. Uh, put it in Alexander Hamilton's way. Hamilton eventually favored Jefferson because he said Jefferson at least has some principles, not many. Burr had none. And uh, so then we have this impeachment process started. Now, writers have since said we have not had an attempt by a president to pack the court until Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried it. So there's a big difference in between. Now, also, please keep in mind the country was not but 20 years old, plus or minus. And we lived through something, our predecessor lived something that was drastic 
absolutely drastic and makes some of the political matters today look like child's play, in my humble opinion, where you had Jefferson. Oh, here was a man who hired a publisher to write derogatory things about President Adams, offered him $100, did not pay him, then offered him $50, didn't pay. And these derogatory things were, were written. That publisher was publisher of a uh, Richmond, Virginia paper, as I recall. His body washed up on the shores of the James River on July 17, 1803. Now you draw your own conclusions. It was kind of drastic. We don't have these things, I don't think, happening today. Well, Vincent Foster would beg to differ, but that's okay. All right. But uh, in, in any event, so the matter went from a committee in the House. The House voted impeachment articles, went to the Senate. Now, again, keep in mind, the Senate is now controlled by Jeffersonians, and Aaron Burr uh, is going to preside. Keep this in mind, too. The Chief Justice of the United States presides over the impeachment of the president. After that, it's the uh, president of the Senate being the vice president who's going to preside over a trial in the Senate. Also, keep in mind, as I've said, Burr was not a man who is that well-liked. He did have a strong political backing and a man lacking in principle. He ran a trial that was accredited as being impeccable. None of the articles reached two-thirds. Now, let's keep this in mind. As a publisher said, we live in evil times. We have an infidel as president and a murder. Burr was wanted for murder in two states to, to preside. And then, uh, that's what Senator Plummer said, and then a publisher picked up on it and said, usually the murder is arraigned before the judge. This time the judge is being arraigned before the murder, which is kind of an interesting point. That just shows you how drastic things were then. Now, what were the specific charges against Chase? Well, they had to do with his conduct. Uh, he made some comments to a grand jury, and during a trial in Maryland, he had been a justice in Maryland before Washington appointed him to the Supreme Court. Uh, he is a man of who expressed his opinion on things that were, shall we say, not judicial. Was he a man of uh, judicial temperament? I think it would be fair to say he was not. Uh, I don't think anyone would argue with that. And this is one of the reasons that Jefferson picked on him, because he thought Chase was obtainable and uh, action could be taken against him. But not, none of the articles reached the two-thirds majority that was required by the Senate. Now, here's the importance of all of this. What would have happened if a justice of the Supreme Court of the United States would have been convicted for political reasons? We ask ourselves, what would have happened to an independent judiciary? What would have happened to the separation of powers? And let me add this, what would have happened to the Constitution? You know, even when Chief Justice Marshall was on the bench, I think for well over 20 years at that point, of his 35 years of service as Chief Justice, he even doubted and had his wonders if the Constitution was going to survive. 
I mean, this was the climate back then, the early 1800s. Well, for example, today, uh, retired Justice John Paul Stevens, who is living up in uh, Palm Beach County, has come out and he recently gave an interview to the Wall Street Journal yes. about questioning Kavanaugh's judicial temperament and really uh, going very strongly against him. So I, I think, you know, if the times, we may be going back to those times. Well, it, it could very well be. I, I cited uh, Federalist 65 right. and Alexander Hamilton in his writing under the assumed name of Publius, as we know, said uh, impeachment is a political process. Well, that's pretty obvious because it's all done in a political arena. But then when you read the next paragraph, he said there, there's going to be infighting here. There are going to be political factions against each other. But let us hope that for impeachment purposes, it is done. In other words, a conviction would be done for the proper reasons, for true legal reasons, something that would raise the bar to the level of breaching the public interest and doing something illegal. Bribery, treason are pretty obvious, but trying to define what is meant by high crimes and misdemeanors, that, that, becomes, that becomes the issue. But uh, it's all left up to the political process. All right, so let me ask you a two-step question. First of all, as a hypothesis, what do you think of, uh, you think Kavanaugh could be impeached? Now, I, I have not learned anything that, that would suggest a grounds for that. Uh, you don't believe I, uh, Blasey Ford? No, people are entitled to the, people that are entitled to their own to their own opinion yeah. and, and there are two sides to everything. Uh, what and then, I'm, and wait, and then there's the truth. Yeah. Well, there, there's there's the truth. I think what is important here, and I think the reason you've invited me is because the importance of this process called impeachment. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I hold the view, and strongly hold the view, it's not based on science. We Americans do not like impeachments. Right. Yes. We, we just don't. And when you start attacking the court, now there is some science. There are surveys that show a belief that I have had for some time uh, before I read the uh, surveys or the results of the surveys. Deep down, whatever our political persuasions are, we like an anchor. And we have a sway in the way with the White House from every four or eight years. And every two or four or six years, we have a little change in, or a major change in our Congress. But what is the anchor? And let me suggest to you, it's our independent judiciary. And the United States Supreme Court represents it. And people, I think, whatever one's persuasion is, and even though you disagree with a number of the opinions, that deep down, that is our anchor. That is what protect us, protects us. And it is known if we do not have an independent judiciary, we will not have what we call a democracy. Yeah, we'll have third world banana republics. So do you, do you agree with Chief Justice Roberts that there are no such thing as Obama judges or Bush judges or Clinton judges or now Trump judges? Well, sustainable? Yeah. What do you mean by sustainable? Well, well no, what I'm, well, uh, 
Donald Trump has criticized a lot of the decisions, especially from lower courts, who, uh, especially on the uh, Muslim yes. ban. Yeah. Yes. And he said these are Obama judges or they're progressive judges. Well, what do you think well, of that? Well, I, I just think that's a lot of hot air. Uh, should, should a president be talking that way? No. But look, at compare it to what Thomas Jefferson did. Thomas mm -hmm. Jefferson uh, said in... The Congress ought to do what I say it does, and the court ought to rule the way I say it should rule. Now, we, we don't have that today. Of course, every president has his feelings as to how they would like to see the court rule, but nothing to the extreme that Thomas Jefferson did. I well, mean, this was well, a man Well, he, he mentions Roberts, but it's very offensive to see Roberts being the signing yeah, vote in Obamacare, knowing the tax was originated yeah. in the Senate. Well, today... Today, Justice Kavanaugh sided with four liberal judges right, right. on a class action uh, case, standing case. And, yeah. and, and a standing class action state case. And, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he continues to exercise an independent mind. Uh, we've seen that in the Chief Justice Roberts, who people thought he was quite conservative, and then the Obamacare decision. And uh, so, and Souter did the these, same thing. All the well, Bush, you, you know, you never know for sure. Look, look at during the Eisenhower administration. Uh, Eisenhower right. called, I guess, a moderate uh, conservative or Republican, whatever the term you put on people in the 1950s, and he had one of the most liberal chief justices he, he appointed. Uh, plus, uh, it. Uh, I'm trying to think. Justice Brennan. I think it was time to put a Catholic on the court. Was it because there? <clears throat> Uh, there, there were two very, very famous Jewish uh, justices in uh, 20th century, and this balance in Brennan turned out to be very, very liberal. And so you really never know what uh, what you're going to get until they get get there and start to exercise their own judgment. Well, I think one of the real tests coming up is going to be the uh, how the the federal judges respond to the FISA court and the way the FISA court has been lied to, apparently. And we'll see if uh, Chief Justice Roberts and the other judges who were on that court, you know, put up a, a fight and uh, maybe uh, have some hearings on uh, what kind of presentations were made. Maybe Attorney General Barr will, will lead the way. But I, I think it'll be a real test for Roberts and the other judges who are on the FISA court, whether they stand up for the rule of law and whether they call into a to account uh, people who may have lied to them in their presentation. Are you saying that well, that, that the, was the case, that those Roberts, that, that judge was presiding during yeah, these fights? Roberts is in charge of the FISA court, and there were other judges who were involved, and they need to step up and say, you know, have hearings or call people who sign affidavits. Well, one say, way well, to kill this impeachment narrative is to accelerate... Well, the, the Spygate investigation. Yeah, that's when, part of it. When all is said and done, Jefferson said the impeachment is a farce and then tried to step away from it, even though he was the instigator, and even suggested uh, articles of impeachment to, to the House. So Je you know, Jefferson was a rogue in my judgment, but that, there you have it. The early. thing of it is, in the Senate, even those who were sympathetic to him politically put the country first. Yes. They saw you had to put the country first. Mm -hmm. And this, is, I think, is what we're all looking for, and we'll be waiting to see what happens from Congress, from our judiciary. Uh, they could have these Chase different— acquitted? Putting the country first, mm -hmm. and even though you may have a legal philosophy one way or another, what will be the effect on the Constitution? What will be the effect on the population? And 
again, gentlemen, I tell you, this was tested to the utmost when this country was hardly 20 years old. Yeah. And here we're a much more mature, hopefully a more mature and stabilized country. But look what it went through back then. So I, I have faith. I have faith. Uh, and I think that the people we have elected, at least in large part, uh, have had the benefit of an, of uh, education. I'm not so sure that many members of Congress have ever read the Constitution. I think it would be helpful if they did. But that's just my thought. And you could say it's whimsical, but... Well, some, how about being thought. taught the Constitution in high school, in right. elementary school, in middle school? So do you think uh, Nadler will go through with impeachment? Will no Nancy... way. It's suicide. I, know I, I think from a political point, it just it'd be shooting themselves in the foot. They're making, the, they're, they're making Trump into a cult figure. Just insane. If Clinton got reelected, you know that Trump will get reelected if they try to impeach him. Trump is this phenomenon that doesn't even complete sentences. And he has the American people drooling over him, simple out of, out of chispa to take on the CIA, the DIA, the Department of State, Iran, North Korea, China, uh, the Democratic Party. And he's standing there smiling about it. He's a cult figure already. It's over. He could, he could do an FDR. He could run for two more terms after eight and people would still vote for him. Well, we'll have to see where the facts are, but... What what we know so far, what has surfaced, I just don't see anything that reaches the uh, constitutional standard for impeachment. And as I say, this is a lot of political talk going on. Because they I, can't beat him and, on his movement. And in my original uh, initial statement, I think the, the word impeachment is just being thrown around a little too loosely. And uh, we have to be careful about it. We're dealing with our Constitution and we just hope those who have the right to vote in Washington will do whatever is appropriate to uh, keep the country first and not just for some personal political gain. Well, do you think do you think FDR's Warren courts did a, a tremendous damage creating the welfare state as we know it that's bankrupt the country? Well, that that's that, a terrible effect. That, that's getting more more into a into a political thing. I'm a student of Truman. And one thing I do find fault because of his loyalty he was blind uh, to the sense of voting Democrat, voting Democrat, even though there was an instance where he supported a Republican back home and people criticized him for it. But he said, I saw him fight during World War One, and he deserves to uh, to be to be elected. But uh, Truman voted along with FDR for stacking the court. And I I think that was a mistake that Mr. Truman made if he ever reflected on that. People don't like the court to be partisan. Yeah, they they just let them go and do their job, and there's there's going to be a more liberal lean on that court eventually, and that's in the future there's going to be a more conservative lean. This is what we live through, generation after generation, and it happens with the uh, circuit courts. It happens with the with the lower courts, and incidentally, in regard to Mr. Jefferson. Uh, what Mr. Trump's doing is nothing. Jefferson uh, had a judicial, the Judiciary Act, what was it, of 1802 or something, that did away with the Circuit Court of Appeals, oh the federal God. judges. Wow. And here they were appointed for life. Mm-hmm. Forget the Constitution. And he got away with it. Uh, by the time Was they, it repealed? By the time they impeached Chase, they had already done away with 17 judicial judgeships. You can't get away with that today. 
Not at all. That just, just, just shows you what Jefferson was getting away with until he picked on Chase. And finally, in my judgment, the Senate woke up and put the country first. Now, New Gingrich's dream of getting rid of the Ninth Court is impossible. No, no, that can be re- re- they can be redistricted uh, clearly. But what about down here in South Florida? We have an example of a judge who was uh, impeached, Alcee Hastings, and then he had a very successful career. He's still a congressman. Do you know about that? Uh, yes, a little bit of it, and uh, there, there was. In fact, the matter is, I was at a meeting with him. Uh, representing the Coral Gables Bar on, on a matter that w- was going to be instituted and was instituted in in, in the Southern District, mm-hmm. uh, Federal Southern District, and Judge Hastings chaired that meeting. And across the table from me was the uh, United States Attorney. And of course, the next morning, the judge was arrested. <laughs> and and uh, but then the rest is. Uh, as you know, he was impeached. Uh, he, he, he was, was re- convicted. He, he was convicted and removed, and uh, the rest is political. After that, it's it's not as though uh, you impeach you impeach the president. I think the Constitution there's a provision in there you can hold no other office uh, if you've been convicted of impeachment. No, but Hastings I, is elected. Congressman. He, he was elected congressman, still serves, mm-hmm. and. His stature in Congress, you could draw your own conclusions. You remember when in the seniority system, he was up for being, what, chairman of the Intelligence Committee oh, or some major? Yeah. And he was skipped over? Speaker Pelosi was, a, was, was addressed with this and said, he, he have to choose somebody else, and she did. That's a very, very sensitive chairmanship. She got and, Ilhan Omar in that committee. Well, yeah, that, that's incredible. There you go. It's there incredible. You go. Uh, uh, an anti-American congressman is sitting on the intelligence anyway, committee it's, that it's, could be leaking Hastings stuff. Was not the chairman of the intelligence committee. Yeah, but he was impeached. He was impeached. Yeah, it's a, it's a situation where, you know, it's really easy to dilute the integrity of the greatness of our constitution, mm-hmm. especially over generations. My biggest fear is. Since nobody can give a damn about fixing the public school system, and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about reinventing the school system by putting parents in charge of budgets of each school, what will that next generation do? They'll impeach us. They'll impeach anybody. And this, these kids that are sitting there, wondering why they think there's a fix in the system to get wealthy in society when it, there is no fix in the system. What are they going to do when that generation's in power? And well, I'm in a, and I and Ed's in a in a rocking chair, and I am going, oh my God, look what's happening! You'll recall after Justice O'Connor resigned from the court, in due course she started traveling the country and saying, advocating put put civics back in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I have a very good friend who is a renowned educator in the high school system in Miami, and I remember one time in a, converse, in a conversation with him, he said that uh, at his high school they have a it may be an AP class, I'm not sure. They have a course in constitutional law. I said, wow, that's not necessarily an easy subject in law school. I wonder what they do with high school students. Uh, but it was nice to hear that obviously you're going to have to address, and they are addressing the Constitution at the high school level. And we, we need, that, need that background because the colleges, what they're getting, they're, they're complaining all the time. The students... 
don't know how to write well. The, they don't have sufficient backgrounds. And so you find some of our colleges, even some of our better colleges, uh, they're really not getting into giving them something new until later on. I'll share this. A couple of years ago, I was on a panel with a very, very distinguished professor from an Ivy League law school. And uh, the night before, we're having dinner together before a conference we were involved in. And I don't know what came over me, but uh, I said, Professor, um, do your students know how to write? Now, this is, you could take this as kind of insulting. I, was, I said, Roy, why, why did you say such a thing? And I think I know why. But uh, he looked at me, and it was a very respectful exchange of comments. He said, they do when they leave. Oh, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, good. my goodness gracious. It takes law school to learn how to write yep. or a, a graduate level yep. to learn how to write. That's good. Well, we were expected to learn how to write and maybe didn't succeed. I know it's always been difficult for me at, at the high school level. And, and yeah, I've published some articles, and there are two that I should have already written, and I haven't. But uh, I just, you know, it's very, very difficult. Your, your great writers tell you it's not easy. No. It's not easy. But uh, I tell the students when I've been privileged to work with in, in Europe, uh, I say, look, you're getting the benefit of a fine legal education. Now, what are you going to do with it? And unless your communication skills are good, you're going to be quite limited. Uh, can you write? Uh, can, can you vocal your... Huh? Are they in, do, you, do they work in English? Are you... Yes, everything is in English. Okay. Yeah, in fact, one of one of the uh, universities, in fact, in Lviv, you know, one of my favorite cities. It's in western Ukraine, and you may recall Ed uh, being a lawyer that some of the greatest uh, scholarship in public international law came out of Lviv before World War II, mm -hmm. and changed the map of public international law for the better. Just truly outstanding scholars. But anyway, I'm housed there in the. Uh, faculty of international relations i get students from the faculty of law and in the faculty of international relations there are about half a dozen or more sub disciplines in law those students when they graduate they're expected of course to know their subject matter but they also have to have two slavic languages it's either going to be ukrainian and russian or ukrainian and polish english is mandatory and then a na another non-Slavic language. And I'm told most of the students ch choose German. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of commerce between Western yeah. Ukraine and Germany, et cetera. Some choose French. Very, very few choose Spanish. That gives you an idea of what their standard is and uh, getting, getting their education behind them. And they have to be fluent. And I have a former student who uh, is in-house, has responsibilities for an international company out of Lviv. Uh, her duties were the United States and German, mm -hmm. Germany. And even after her first master, she went on to Switzerland to get another master's degree in law that uh, she started, uh, continued, I should say, her studies in German. And uh, this has put her to good use as in-house attorney for a very, very fine firm. So yeah, you get uh, people. Well, I, I, people ask me about all the different students. In my case, I uh, I had uh, civics in eighth grade. I still yeah. remember that yeah. in the Chicago public schools, and yeah. that was very useful. And then you know, I kept up with constitutional law uh, from through high school and college, and 
And by law school, I was already I was more focused on business law, so that yeah. I didn't really focus on my. Yeah. But I think I will I will say that a real challenge coming up is the FISA court, because I think on its face the FISA court looks very suspicious to me. It's a one-sided court. There are no two sides. It, you know the 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 there, it is a tip. It is very much like the Spanish Inquisition, and then the inquisitorial system in Latin America and continental Europe, where the judge can listen to one side, can do ex parte one side hearings without giving the other side a chance to hear it and respond. And that's the FISA court. And the reason given for it was, you know, there are all these terrorists and baloney. I think it's a real threat. The FISA court, as structured, and I, I, I want to see. Did that come out of happened. the Patriot Act? That came out, it was one of the Patriot Act things that came out of that. It's a one sided court. In American, Anglo American jurisprudence, you have a chance to present your case in open court, listen to the other side, then you give your side. Here, only one side is speaking. And that's very dangerous. I think that's unconstitutional. And well, you also, look, at, look at your uh, process with the grand jury. It, you know, it's pretty easy to get an yeah, indictment. Yeah. You have one side giving it. Right. And uh, so you get, get your indictment. That doesn't mean you're going to get uh, a Yeah, but there, this conviction. is a case where you get a, a, you get a, a wiretap, for example, or you get, uh, you know, that's what... Search warrants. Search warrants. Yeah. yeah. That's sort of yeah. Thing. Now, and, and, but indictment is devastating to your reputation, no matter if you're convicted sure. or not. Well, sure. Not anymore. People know that anybody can be. You can indict a ham sandwich. Roger Stone's reputation has not suffered from his indictment. That's not what he's saying. Well, that's what he's saying, but he keeps on asking me for more. Another, another, another hundred bucks. Him a chance to ask for more money, right? Yeah, it that, He's uh, so. Here's a good question: What becomes of Roger Stone? Does he get off or not? Oh, I think the Trumps are going to uh, pardon everybody, especially Michael Flynn. He was wrongly. Persecuted by the special prosecutor Manafort, he 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 had done his things wrong, but he was only pr uh, prosecuted because of his role in the Trump campaign. Absolutely, because there are a lot of other. I think they were letting the him off thing. the hook. Yeah, they and, recharged him and because. Flynn is a great def uh, intelligence officer. He understood the threat of Islam. That's part of why Obama didn't like him, because he said, you know, Islam is a political ideology first, and then it's a religion. And uh, that ruffled a lot of feathers among the Muslims in the in the government, like Obama, like John Brennan. So he was targeted. That's who I want to see yeah. in an orange suit. Well, that's right. Brennan and Clapper and probably Comey and McCabe. I don't think they'll touch Comey for some reason. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you'll see uh, you'll see Valerie Jarrett. Stroke. Stroke. Oh, yeah. Stroke and, and Page are. I think Page will be the canary. You know, she'll talk. And she'll be off. talking like a sweet pea. But I was... think it's going to go higher. I think you're going to see... Uh, Hillary's going to be hard pressed. To get no out of it. way, and Teflon Obama, Hillary. Yeah, yeah. She's the new Teflon. Valerie Jarrett. I don't. Do you think the country really would ever indict a president, a former president? No way, man. Because then we could we we have to get off our perch from the rest of the world standpoint. Look, even the Americans. Well, let, let, let me let me throw something else at you. When was the last time you voted for somebody instead of against someone? Now, how often have we heard that? Now, last month, I was privileged to be in a country where they've elected a new president. Now, the incumbent got beat by a large margin. That's in the Ukraine. That was Ukraine, yeah. In Ukraine. By the comedian. In Ukraine. So Mr. Mr. Petrushenko was defeated. And uh, friends of mine say, well, a comedian beat him. I said, well, he's had four years of law. 
And uh, that doesn't mean he could practice law in Ukraine. It takes five years if you're going to practice. In their system, four years, you're more or less a clerk uh, assisting a, a lawyer in the courtroom. Like what we call paralegal and here. Paralegal. A little that's, higher that's than that. That's about uh, uh, it. Yeah. But uh, it takes five. And, and then many students go on to get a Ph.D. in law, which is additional three years and uh, pub- publishing a number of things. And so I tell my friends, and if there are any lawyers listening to this uh, uh, in Miami, they'll certainly appreciate it. I said, look, it, you have a choice. Uh, you could go on television, be a celebrity, make good money, or you could be running down Flagler Street every other day to motion calendar. Now, which one do you want? <laughs> and so anyway, apparently the man... Uh, does have uh, quite a degree of intelligence. Uh, he has a very successful program. Uh, the program, he played the role of a president and made fun of him. It was a comedy. They made fun of him. So he used the parody yeah. to, be, to become president. He's a bright guy. So another thing, too, uh, over there, if I may add, uh, they have two things that were put into government. One is the National the uh, National Anti-Corruption Bureau, which investigates and uh, goes after people, arrests, and, as I recall. Then they have what's called an agency for the prevention of corruption. And five persons are elected nationally to, to the position. I was very privileged to be invited to the office of one of the commissioners in the agency and see them see the commission work we were excused after a while because then everything is quite quite confidential even to the point where just going to the commissioner's office i went through two guards that checked me out and then I was asked, do you remember seeing the guy in the t-shirt i said no who is that and he said oh, that was secret service they they did a uh, research on you because they knew you were coming, and they know how many times you've been to this country, what you've been doing here, what you've been doing that, et cetera, et cetera. I said, just because I was a visitor. But uh, they also have investigative powers, and when they find that there is reason to correct something, whether it's a mayor's office or something in a ministry, even the minister— and over there, the ministers have more power than the president. They will develop a protocol to correct what they believe to be a corrupt practice or conflict of interest, whatever. Corrupt is a broad term. And uh, if they don't, then the five commissioners can vote. If three say yes, you're removed from office. It's the a, ministers are removed? Oh, they could, as far as I'm told, as far as oh. as high as the minister, not the not the president. So that's Pre- an impeachment. Not, not the president. It is. It's, <laughs> it it's, is. It's, it's like an impeachment. But here you have five who are nationally elected and with their own investigation, and they work uh, back and forth with the bureau. It's kind of neat. They have all the the heads of the departments who do the investigation. They come and sit, and then in a part they leave uh, after a while, and then we were excused. The assistant to the commissioner and I. Of course, I did not understand. I don't understand Ukrainian, so I, uh, other than the fact that they were voting on something, 
And it was a preliminary vote whether to proceed in certain things or not to proceed. But then, as I say, we were all excused and only five of them remained in the room. And it's a very, very secretive type of thing. And knowing the commissioner, I don't even raise questions with him. Uh, I don't want to embarrass myself and I don't want to ask a question that that uh, would be uncomfortable for him to have to or feel response to do. He was here, by the way, uh, two weeks ago at uh, FIU College of Law on their fourth annual conference on the fight against corruption and impunity. And uh, from the looks of things, what I saw on the Internet, he made quite a contribution to it, to the conference. Well, but anyway, Ukraine is trying to, you know, continue and move. So we need uh, one of those in Miami. In that. With the corruption yeah, well, we got. <laughs> yeah, perhaps so. We, we do have the state's attorney's office, and we have investigative arms such as the FBI and, of course, the Florida Department of— But what do we do when they're corrupt? <laughs> well, that's, that's another thing, too. That's another thing, too. Uh, yeah, I was uh, just uh, signed up for the Epic Times, and I got the huge poster— of the Spygate uh, right. connecting of the dots. Uh, I must have took, I don't know, two hours, three hours to not only look at the map itself, but then go to the Internet and try to catch up on this missing pieces. There's a lot of people that are not being t- heard about in the press that were integral and resigned quickly when they realized, oh, my God, this is a mess. I'm perjuring myself. Like I'm who? breaking a guy named Kramer. At the Department of uh, Department of uh, Defense Intelligence Agency, okay. he was processing paper that he shouldn't have processed because mm-hmm. there was nothing to it, and yet he was hurting people's careers and reputations. And what about the unmasking? Yes, it was Samantha so, Power and uh, well, Susan Rice. It was. It was. Yeah, it was to pick up velocity. It was. They created intelligence velocity mm-hmm. as an, uh, a way of getting more people involved. So less accountability. I mean, it's really hard. There's about 30 people there that, that can be convicted of high crimes. This is during the Obama administration? All of it during the Obama administration. In fact, it started because um, the IG Horowitz, who Obama appointed, mm-hmm. was asking for, it's a shame to get into this without remembering the damn acts. He was asking for um, open power to, to pick up and dig up all files within I think I, Freedom of Information Act. No, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a greater that. one. Okay. And Obama gave it to him with two weeks left in his presidency. <laughs> so had that been signed when he requested it early in his presidency, <laughs> when he was appointed, Horowitz appointed, none of these things, Spikey, could have never happened. And yet, because Obama wanted it to happen. Yeah, he neutralized the uh, neut- IGs the and many saddest, agencies. It's the most disgusting, like you said, the effects of... Uh, What's best for the country was to sign it early on. But he had this Manchurian mentality that I've always felt he was. Well, one of the things about the Obama administration is not only were they spying on a lot of people, including journalists, but also they made a real effort to try to avoid having archives and records. And I know they're they're building a, an Obama presidential center on the south side of Chicago. With no archives. With no or archives, <laughs> documents, no records. They don't want anybody to, to, to know. They don't want to leave a trail. It'll be interesting to see what historians do when they treat the uh, Justice Department during the Obama administration. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, Holder also was involved in the way they passed it on to Lynch. She's also discussing well, the involved. Holder was in Fast and Furious, which is a gun well, running down to the okay, Mexican Okay, that's cartel. exactly how the chart starts. The yep. chart starts with 
the reason for not signing Horowitz's suggestion, yep. who testified before everyone he had to, about let me see this stuff before it gets out of hand. Mm-hmm. It was Holder that was uh, strong, uh, strong-arming him. And, right. and in fact, Comey wanted to end this Spygate stuff. And guess who got in his way? And said, absolutely not. You're going to continue. But there's nothing here. Bren- Brennan. Yeah, Brennan was always... Obama's man at the CIA. It's disgusting, man. It's just a, it's a, it's a horrific display of American jurisprudence when people aren't culpable. There there is no personal responsibility. Well, there's absolutely nothing except maybe for now there will. Nobody even checked out the dossier, and yet it uh, uh, this lady Newman Newland, she's in the State Department. She looked at it and said, "Oh my God, I really have to pass this along." Yes, you better. Come on. Well, I knew that the uh, the dossier was always false from the beginning because I know that Trump is a developer of hotels. And one of the biggest assets that hotels have is good beds. So I knew that Trump would not allow two Russian prostitutes to pee on any mattress in any hotel because he knew that that was a very valuable asset in that And he hotel. doesn't drink, so it wouldn't and have happened. he doesn't drink. So it wouldn't and, have happened. And I know under- that if he were to hire a couple of Russian hookers... He would not use them for peeing on the bed. He, yeah. would, he would be much busier than that. So uh, yeah, I, I it, always knew it was false, from, just from the story I heard. It's no uh, uh, the vitriol of the left having failed for 80, 90 years now. There's not a single thing they've incorporated in this country, legal-wise. And there isn't a single thing we've ever come up with on a conservative side to counteract these stupid ideas. Even when we try to put to bed the income tax, we actually marshaled it in. Uh, illegally. The Republicans? Yeah, yeah. We marshaled it in under Taft. And what does he end up? He ends up in the Supreme Court after the stupid idea of, called the income tax. And, you know, when you, you look at the 1890 Supreme Court or 1893, when they said that wages cannot be included in the income tax because it's private property, because you can't return what you've earned, you know, once you've given them sweat, equity, you can't be given back that time. You've already punched in and punched out. The only thing you can compensate me with is with currency. Can't give me like ten apples today for what I did today in your factory, and then give me five bananas tomorrow. Who's to say that the apples and the bananas are the same value? So they said flat out that wage is private property, and sure enough, what do the Republicans do? Starting off with, uh, well, I won't call period, I won't call Theodore Dummy because I just complimented period, the, him. The, the progressive ideas were in both parties. Yes. Yeah. For the Republicans and the well, Democrats. the the founder of the progressive movement was Theodore Roosevelt well, and then in his Wilson, square. Uh, yeah. No square deal and then no way a second in the square in the square, square deal, deal speech right. speech in 1912. That's he, when he was running again. If you read the square yeah. deal the speech Bull of Moose 1912, Party. you see America's federal government today. Mm-hmm. It was like a magnifying glass of statism. And Woodrow Wilson incorporates it. Incorporates it all. Right, right, right. As soon as he gets elected, oh. as yeah, Teddy, Teddy had a liberal strike to him. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. at least he created the uh, the national parks for us, right? That's got a lot of well, oil underneath it. Yeah, right. You know, it's one of those things. So, where do we go from here? I I want to pose this idea to you. What do you think about parents, regardless of where they're from or what income level, socioeconomic class, where they get to vote in an inner school vote, intra school vote, where teachers do not veto their decision, and they become the manager of the school's budget, funded directly from the state of Florida's Department of Education. And they determine to get rid of textbooks entirely and go with just the classics and 
They decide who, oh, if, the, if the principal stays or goes. They decide if the teacher stays or goes. And the, the parents can only stay long enough. In other words, once the child leaves the school, the parent has to leave the governing board. That's the Parent Par- Guardianship Act the, the, here in the Florida. Par- the right? Parent Guardianship School. What's wrong with the parents? Just purse strings only. No teaching. And then, therefore, the local auspice is, oh, my kid, our kids are failing. But instead of going downtown and complain to Carvalho, they got to fix this among themselves because it's their children. And we're the only state that has that law. We just have teachers with veto power in the law because it was written by Lawton Childs. So what would you think about getting rid of the, uh, the teachers' vote, since they are conflict of interest voters, like half of this country, and allow parents to save surpluses every year and then do what universities do, seek big employers of the, the municipalities or the counties to match the surpluses and start rebuilding the schools from within and not going to school bonds. In other words, reducing the amount of school bonds because it's not for the it's not countywide. It's just for the schools that the county's still running because they don't have functional parents who can even call these votes. You're not going to like my response. That's no, okay. That's okay. We... I, I expect opposition. It's been since 2013 trying to change this. It's not an opposition. I have no opinion on that. No faith I, in I've, parents. <laughs> I have faith in parents, but I tell you, I've not looked into it significantly enough yeah. to honor your question and to honor the intelligence of your listeners. Yeah. So I'm not going to respond other than that. I like charter schools. That's another issue. Well, that's you how look. Th- you look at the statistics, and uh, I think we're not doing enough to help. And there's plenty to say in that regard that where the parents want their students to go into another environment, and then there's opposition to that. I'm I'm for one of putting the students first. You know, I tell when I when I go abroad with the law students, you know, I start right off. I said, "This is not my vacation. I'm here for you. I you know, I, I have other things to do. There are other places in the world I'd love to visit, but uh, my time is theirs. You know, er- everything's given to them. I put the students first, and if there is something that uh, is most beneficial to the students." Even over the parents, or over certainly over the teachers, teachers. Yeah. or over administration, what's what's best for the students overall? Just look at that, and that's yeah. But, but that's a separate comment. Yeah, um, uh, the origin of the metamorphosis that I went through was started off with uh, growing up and my brother building charter schools. So he has over twenty of them today. He was also Jeb Bush's real estate uh, associate and partner at the Codina Group and founded the Codina Group in the early 80s with Armando Codina. So I watched this develop. Now, I realize, wait a second, if it's that good, why not accelerate it, accelerate it inside a public school, especially dilapidated schools, especially overcrowded schools, A, B, or C, F schools. What's beautiful about the state of Florida is that Jeb proposes it when he runs against Childs, loses to him, but Childs takes this what uh, this beautiful idea and ruins it by the way he passed it. Now, nobody promulgates it. They just pass it. So it doesn't get promulgated until Charlie Crist comes, and he's a chameleon. We know what became of him. Well, he allows uh, the, the deep state of the Department of Education in Tallahassee to write the promulgation rules and the voting guidelines. And can you believe it? Uh, something that's called the Florida 
Parent Empowerment Law 1002-33, Clause 3, became a teacher empowerment law in practice because the teachers can veto parents by having two separate ballots where I fire the trigger letter. There's good things about it that they're forced to create the ballot in 90 days. I have the right to see the individual school budget, which they never gave me until the day before the, uh, oh, the, day before the week of the election because it's five days of voting. And I have to win both elections. That allows the teachers to abuse my daughter as a fifth grader. And that's what they did. They went after her hard with texts, with personal assaults, um, no hitting or fighting or anything, but class chants <laughs> against my daughter, who was prepared because I took them to the movies. And because of the, my charter school background of just knowledge, I took her to, you know, don't back down, waiting for Superman she saw the picketing and all that stuff. There was picketing in front of my hardware store. Minor stuff. Um, but I just want to change the and to or. Or remove them entirely. And I've, I've not only been doing this since 2013, but Ed can, t- can testify to the fact that I'm actually having inner circle access. I, I, I believe uh, I was on the DeSantis before anybody was. Having lunches, having dinners, speaking to him. And getting elected by charter school parents. That's a known fact that he won this election against Gillum because of charter school parents in the black community who were finally given an option for their children to go to charter. And all that is pointing and all the stars are aligned. And yet he got rid of Common Core. He expanded the scholarship program. But no change to the end or or yet. And it's driving me nuts. And. I, I don't want to be part a of a... A lot of people who, are, who agree with you don't understand the legislation. I think Roy is a good example. I, I think if you looked no, at I it... That's fair. Yeah, if, I think <laughs> yeah. if you looked at it, you just hadn't, haven't looked at it. Right, uh, I understand. It's like, uh, there's a, uh, it's like the mangrove, you know? The root system has to be changed. It has to, we have to change how the mangrove grows, but it's below the water line. And yet, it's, the, it's definitely the, uh, the, uh, the, the disformed fetus... That this whole program today was based on. Our callers said it. We've talked about it. The uninformed citizen who one person said doesn't want to vote. The other person says, oh, my God, I can't believe they voted. And all of us here acknowledging the fact that the next generation might screw all this up because we're hanging by a thread here. Intellectual is like an intellectual bankruptcy occurring. And it can only happen not through reform, through the total reinvention of the school system. And that puts parents in charge of the schools that can convert. So it's basically the name of the law is, uh, other than the Florida Empowerment Law, it's called the conversion to charter of a district school. But the 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 people who are at fifty percent, people who are paying taxes in this town, would love to see one day that the 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 school bonds go out for less money, because half of the school district is being run by parents who are saving surpluses, especially in overcrowded schools. You know how much this school had where I fired this trigger letter. I finally knew. Academy? No, that was the product of. Okay. This lawsuit that I did was the product of the Mass Academy that was ultimately built by our city, funding it, and that's my my attempt at this had everything to do with the high school. Either you do it there, or I do it here. Conversion to charter. That was the threat, and then I got the 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 the, the money from a developer who was building at the same time, and I threatened to stop his site plan review because he didn't have a student station impact study. On the site plan review, and that's you can see that on, on YouTube. It was a, a cool fight. Take it up, five attorneys. 
Three in the council. Well, don't don't pick on attorneys too much. We've been we've been. Yeah, the, you can make my life we, miserable. We, I can tell you this: <laughs> I, uh, attorneys have been the brunt of jokes long before the United States was formed, and certainly in the United States from its birth. But uh, when but when you've put, also when, held when, the needle. But when push comes to shove, who do you go to when your rights are being jeopardized? So well, we, guess what? We have a role to play. We got rolled over in the in the civil rights court and federal court. No, we, you didn't get rolled over. The the superintendent of schools can direct his employees to do whatever he says. That's yeah. That's so I go. I make the mistake of uh, participating in their lawsuit instead of having them participate in mine, and a big error in judgment. And uh, we get there and uh, we're just rolled over. The the three judges just looked at us. Lawrence Reed and I don't know how many other. Uh, it's just devastating. Uh, they just took the Never King Cooper principles and just rolled over them, saying, you know, you guys weren't damaged. You were taken out of the school. You were paid the whole time. Uh, their vote never occurred. My vote did occur. And if they would have just deposed me, my God, it would have shown how there was a culture of intimidation. Judge, uh, federal Judge Darren Gales, who heard it in the lower court, said, yeah, the, 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 the two gentlemen who tried to do this in the K-8 center, he mentions it in his— Well, they were uh, school employees. But they, the difference was that they were school employees. Therefore, they had no freedom of speech rights. Right. Well, guess what? The law clearly states that they can fire a trigger letter. Parent, Florida parent and Parma law clearly states a principal and a teacher. Well, a te- but the real source should be the parent. And so you were the, the, the Well, we got source. the vote. In other yeah. words, I created a legal president. I'm very proud That's about it. that. I was just the other day on Facebook, the other parent, because it has to be two parents, the other parent is at an awards banquet in tuxedo with Arbeto Carvalho smiling. This one's for you, Manny. And he's posting it on Facebook. And everybody's commenting, oh, Manny must be grinning. He must be standing on his head. I go, no, I just see that Carvalho's not very happy. <laughs> That's my only comment. So this is the end of our Concrete Conservative show. And, Ed, you know, you behave today. Absolutely. You know, you only pointed a couple times. I think... Uh, no, I just wanted to stick to our schedule. That was the only thing. Yeah. So I, I, th- I thank you very much, Roy. I really appreciate... Uh, thank you, Roy. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. it's uh, um, Community Radio does really well when really smart people show up to talk. So I thank you very much. It's not just community. We're on the internet, too. Online listening. Yeah, you can hear us. I'll say it again. WSQFradio.com is a live stream for this show. And, and we uh, hope to have a professor from Krakow call in about three weeks. He's a professor of political philosophy. He's a member of the European Parliament. Uh, he was scheduled to give a talk at Millbury College uh, about three or four weeks ago, and they canceled him. You know, it's this campus anti-free speech. Because he his, he's written a book talking about how contemporary democracies in the West have been infiltrated by what he sees as totalitarian principles, like not letting the other side speak. So they proved his point at Middlebury College. Yeah. So All he's right. going to give his talk here. He so says he's from Krakow? He's going to call in from Krakow after the European elections later in May. Well, that's the end of our show. All Take right. care and stay free, my friends. This is yours truly, Mac okay. on the Rock, for the Concrete Conservative. And we have a perfect segue to Led Zeppelin Communications Breakdown. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.